Blog Talk Radio. Glamour, fearless. Are you ready? 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 Because I'm ready to welcome you to Diva Talk Radio Spotlight, a show dedicated to women touched by diabetes. I'm your host, Mr. Diva Bedick, and I'm on a quest to glamorize good health. Today, I'm broadcasting with attitude as well as altitude. So put on those high heels and jot down the Diva Hotline number, 347-215-8551. So you could talk with my very special guest for December to remember. I'm shining the spotlight on the first Canadian living with type 1 diabetes to climb Mount Everest. Let's meet motivational speaker and Ironman contender, Sebastian Sasserville from Quebec City. Hello, Sebastian. Hello, how are you? I'm excited to have you on the show tonight. I'm excited, too. It's good to be here. Thanks for the invitation. You know, I love uh, Diva Better because we're always trying to inspire people, and I find your story and what you've accomplished in your short lifetime very inspiring. So I'm excited to end 2011 on a high note and hear all about what it's like to climb to Mount Everest. Well, uh, I mean, it's um, it's a tremendous experience. People obviously always want to hear about the climb and how it went and the summit, uh, you know, the journey starts way before you set on the climb, and and you know that's I, I guess that's you know one of my best memory of the climb is is the years prior to the climb. You know, uh, you know, living with the dream and everything you you invest to to get there, and then you set on the journey. So it's been um, a very transforming uh, experience, and I'm very grateful for it. All right, here's a stupid question. First off, how do you know you're at the top of Mount Everest when you get there? Uh, <laughs> there's nowhere else to go. <laughs> you do feel like you're at the very top. Yeah, it's it's very impressive. Um, Can you see uh, anything? Pardon? Can you see anything when you're at the top? Well, our team was very fortunate. We had perfect weather on uh, on our summit bit, so uh, yes, we could see uh, very very far in the horizon, and, and you do get that feeling that you are on the top of the world, and you know nothing. There's nothing else um, above you. So the view was was beautiful. Uh, obviously, the top is is a big um, symbol, right? It's it's great to be there, but what's most important is is what it means to be there. So it was definitely um, a milestone uh, in my life. Yeah, no, it, that is amazing. Um, so, how long do you have to train to climb Mount Everest? I don't think there's a, a set amount of time. Everybody has a different approach. Um, I always say it took me about five years to get ready. Um, you know, I was very committed. I was really dedicated, um, and, and that's what I wanted to do. Other people, you know, climb for 10, 20, 30 years without really, you know, wanting to do it. And, and one day they, they, they wake up and they decide that it's something that they want to do. So I would say... You know, at least several years for sure because, you know, there's um, a certain level of of technical skills and experience that you need to acquire. 
but um, but as, as as long as you feel ready, and we certainly did, uh, in my case from a diabetes point of view um, as well, I felt that I had done all my homeworks, I felt that it was going to be a safe climb, and I felt that diabetes-wise, um, I could take care of myself and, and make sure that I was going to get to the top uh, safely and back down. So that's the feeling you want to you wanna have when you show up at base camp. Okay, another stupid question. How long does it actually take to get climb Mount Everest? So that's a very good question. Um, climbing Mount Everest takes about two months. Uh, two it's a, months? Yeah, it's a and long, long... All the way back, up and down two months, or get there two months, turn around two months? Uh, it's a return trip, so two months. And and it's um, climbing Mount Everest is not a gradual climb up um, you know, all the way to the top. So just to get to base camp takes about 10 days, and then you start going up, and then you come back down, and you go up, and you come back down, and you do that for a number of weeks. And, and that's the only way to climb Mount Everest, and that's the only way you will acclimatize. Um, you mean you kind of go, wait, I'm sorry, I'm confused. You go, you start at base camp, and then you go up. Then you come back to the same base camp, and then you go up again, and then exactly. you come down. Exactly, exactly. So you're kind of like a yo-yo on Mount Everest? Exactly. And every time you go back up, you go a little higher, and that's the way your body will acclimatize to lower uh, oxygen density. And not a lot of people know that that's the way, you know, uh, you need to to organize your climb to 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 be successful. So you know, mentally and physically, that's that's exhausting going up and down like that. But you know, it kind of teaches you the difference between the things you want to do and and the things you need to do in order to um, achieve your goal. Now, I would think that um, high altitude, uh, cold, severe cold, and insulin would not go together. So how did you make that part of the equation work for you? Yeah, and you would be right <laughs> to think that. So definitely the diabetes strategy um, in climbing Mount Everest is, is fairly, um, has to be fairly elaborate. Uh, the, the insulin part of that strategy is very um, it's the most crucial point of, of the strategy. Um, it's the most stressful, it's the most uh, labor-intensive, um, and it's the most unforgiving part of the strategy if, if you, you mess it up. So insulin cannot freeze, uh, so that's one thing. Um, now, base camp is set up on You mean iron. it can't freeze and still be effective? Exactly, exactly. Okay. Once it freezes, it's no longer useful. Were you wearing a insulin pump through this whole thing, too? I was wearing an insulin pump. So Okay, so how did you do that now that we know your insulin can freeze? You had to keep it in some kind of temperature controlled um Yeah, so the pump right? is always next to your body underneath right. like multiple layers of, of clothing. So so unless you freeze, uh the pump's actually fine. Um now because as I said, climbing Mount Everest takes about two months, you're away from home for about three months. The challenge now is that now becomes how am I going to keep that insulin from freezing? Number one, and how am I going to keep keep it cool enough so that it, it it it's good for three months, right? So it's all about not only having backup plans, but it, it becomes about proper transportation um, and proper storage of insulin and making sure. How much sure insulin did you take on this trip? I had probably a year's worth of insulin. Uh, and that may seem like a lot, uh, but what I had was 
a three-month supply on me at all times. I had a three-month supply uh, of insulin at base camp in a thermos being looked after, you know, with a thermometer inside the thermos and, and someone, you know, or myself checking on checking on it constantly. Um, and then I had, when I was there, and then at uh, in Kathmandu in the city, you know, far away from Mount Everest, I had three months' worth of insulin uh, in a fridge, right? And that was my safety net. You know, my hope was not to have to resort to that insulin, but I knew that if something, you know, would have had, would have happened on day one, then I was still okay and I still could have continued on the climb. I mean, this is danger, danger, danger. So, I mean, why did you even want to do this climb? Because uh, that whole story about just the insulin alone would be a reason why you wouldn't get me off the sofa. <laughs> Well, it's interesting. I mean, I, I'm. I mean, what did it? What was the whole inspiration, and and what did you feel like when you got up there? I think. I mean, I was very passionate about climbing, and uh, Edmund uh, Illery, one of the first guys that you know tried to get up there, said that there's no other reason than joy, you know, for doing something like that. So, you're not gonna solve, you know longer and, and get rid of war on the planet by reaching the top of Mount Everest. So you do that for joy. That being said, you know, very rapidly, uh, the cause, diabetes, and the message that I wanted to send, that got, you know, intimately linked to, to the things that I was doing. And I guess to answer your question, the, the thing that motivated me the most, that the thing that helped me, you know, get out of bed and go training when I didn't feel like it, prior to the climb was was the message and, and the feeling that I wasn't alone and that there would be a use um to to that climb and that when I would be back, you know, after the fact there would be a something that would stay, like a legacy. And, and you know, that, that message of hope, that message that everything's possible, uh, you know, that would last forever. I love that. And you know, we have someone in our chat room, we have lovely sofas in there. Uh, Tweeny says she would like to climb Mount Everest. So what, how would someone who want, was thinking about doing this, whether they're living with or living without diabetes, we're not sure of her status, how would they go, how would they get, is there, how did you get involved in that? Like, do, is there a website, I guess? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, you, you to answer that question from um high level, you know, perspective, and I, I guess my answer can be useful to, to any type of goal that you try to set. If you look at the whole thing, like, I want to climb Mount Everest, well, that can be overwhelming. If you break it down in little parts, right? The hills and little molehills or something? Is that, I, love the, I love where you're going with this. I'm, I'm yeah, with you. exactly. So is climbing Mount Everest, you know, is that scary? Yeah. Uh, is taking a climbing class once a week on Tuesdays, you know, uh, indoors climbing to start with. Uh, is that scary? Well, not so much, right? And you, Was so there you, actual repelling? I'm sorry, I just want to... Were you repelling on the rocks like you do a, a rock climbing gym? Uh, yes and no. I mean, it's mostly heights. Um, rock climbing and high-altitude mountaining are, are two very different things. Uh, it's okay. a little bit like type 1 and type 2 diabetes. Uh, people think they're the same or almost, but they're not really. Um, so what I, I liked, what I like doing is, is high altitude mountaineering. So it's not as technical. There's, there's certainly a technical aspect to it, but it's more about, you know, um, crevasse crossing, 
navigating on a glacier properly, high altitude, uh, very challenging environments, and, and that kind of stuff. So back to your answers before I cut you off. You were saying that you start, you know, take it in small parts, start with small climbs, whatnot, and then did you find, how, how did you connect with people who were doing climbs to Mount Everest? Well, as as your goal develops, right, and as you achieve those smaller goals, um, then you're going to, you know, get into bigger leagues gradually, and, and you're more likely to meet people that have the same goal than you. In my case, it was climbing Mount Everest. So as I was training more, uh, taking more advanced training, as I was climbing in more remote, part, remote parts of the world, um, that school, that, that slash you know, travel agency, some, like a very specialized uh, climbing uh, school, uh, they had other guys that were dreaming about Mount Everest, so they put us in touch, and uh, we started to climb together, got along well, and started to, to plan uh, the big one. All right. Now, were you able to take time off from work? Because that is a two-month is a long time, and Tweeney also said she has done the Marine Corps Marathon, and she was asking again, how long was your training for Mount Everest? Yeah, I mean, definitely um, work was, was incredibly um, supportive of of the dream and of what I wanted to do. Um, earlier in the show, I talked about one of the things that I remember is the, the five years prior to the climb, right? So um, there's there's it's a lot of work to put to, together the, such a, a project, right? And there's a lot of stuff that goes on behind the scene that, you know, um, people don't always think about. You know, when you're going to be gone for three months, you know, your, your car payments, your, your mortgage, all that stuff, that doesn't disappear. So, you know, financially, you got to plan it. You got to plan it at work. You got to find that, you know, those champions that are going to support you and help you get there. Um, so it, it's much more than, than just the climb. Well, now, you were also the first Canadian. That has to be quite an honor. I mean, I can't imagine representing your nation like that, living with diabetes. You were the first Canadian living with diabetes. So what happened after you got down? Did people start reaching out to you? I mean, because you have, you. we should tell everyone, you do do motivational speaking. You mm -hmm. love to talk mostly to children living with type 1. You mm -hmm. work with the Juvenile Diabetes Research Fund. You also work with Team Type 1. Mm -hmm. uh, we're going to hear a little bit more about that. So how did you get from the top of Mount Everest to, you know, the top of all of our hearts and begin sharing your story? Yeah, it, the, sharing the story is, is something that was incredibly important uh, to me. And, and sometimes people ask, you know, how did you feel when you got back down? How did you feel when it was all over? And in a way... Oh. Everything that I wanted to do started, you know, when I reached the top. So, in the whole Mount Everest, you know, journey that is far from over, now I'm in the, the sharing part of it. So, uh, obviously, when it was, like, fresh, there was um, a lot of noise in the diabetes community. Um, so, I did a lot of speaking related to that, tell the story, tell the message, um, and then it turned into, you know, I realized, wow, this is something I love to do. So, um, you know, I made myself available to speak for a corporation. Um, I, I even speak to corporations that are not diabetes related just to, you know, share share what I wanted to do, what was the dream, and try to motivate them. So it's something that's very rewarding. Great. Well, I want to remind our listeners, 
Listen, Divas, you could call in to 347-215-8551 and talk to Sebastian right now, first Canadian man or women living with type 1 diabetes to climb Mount Everest. Our phrase of the month, if you want to end up at the top of our random drawing, is baby, it's cold outside in honor of Sebastian. <laughs> you could post it on our Facebook group or fan page wall to enter our random drawing at the end of the month. Plus, Diva Bedic is traveling this winter. That's right. We're going south, though, Sebastian. We'll be in Florida on January 28th, Philadelphia on February 4th, Washington, D.C. on February 11th. And guess what, divas and dudes? We're going to take our first ever Diva Bedic cruise to the Caribbean in August 2012. You can get all those details at www.divabedic.org. Sebastian. Yeah, uh, I, we're going to start playing some games with you in a minute. <laughs> what are three things that you always carry with your around with you at all times? Because I would think being in extreme conditions like you were only tells you only helps you handle your uh, diabetes in everyday situations. Yeah, so I mean the first thing that I have to say um, that I have with me at all times is my insulin pump. So um, I've had type one for about ten years. I've been on injection for four almost six years of pumping now, so it, it's definitely a phenomenal tool. And What pump uh, I, do you wear, just so we can tell everybody? I wear an Animus pump. Okay, great. Um, What's your number two on your list of three things you carry? Number two would be my gym bag. <laughs> I think your gym always, bag? Yeah, it's always in the car. <laughs> I love um, it. It's always in the car. It's always with me at work. My my schedule changes a lot, so um, I don't want to, you know, use the excuse that I don't have time to to exercise. So I like to um, I like to be ready. I like to have everything that I need. Uh, you know, if if I'm gonna have time to fit in a swim or run or you know a biking session, I wanna I wanna be flexible. So by carrying everything with me, that allows that. And um, number one on your list of three things you carry with you at all times. Oh, the number one. I, I think it would be my blood glucose monitor. Awesome. Um, which one do you use? I use a One Touch. Okay. Uh, I use the One Touch Mini. And um, how many times do you check your blood glucose uh, normally? That varies a lot, but I, I know I test a lot. Um, um, I wouldn't say that I test hundred and ten times a day. Um, it just, I test prior exercise, during, after, um, I really, you know, it's like anything, the more you measure something, the more you understand it, so. Well, you um, know, so many people are so afraid to exercise because they're afraid they're going to go low, so how many times were you checking when you were climbing Mount Everest? On Mount Everest, it was different because, um, sometimes the, uh, the elements, um, you know, challenge you, and sometimes you just don't want to take your mitts off because you don't want your your fingers to to freeze. Um, the uh, the blood glucose monitors they're not um, they're not approved to go above ten thousand feet. So I think that's something that's important to mention. Um, so above ten thousand feet, they start you know they'll still give you a reading, but um, they start, you know, being a little inaccurate, and it's not because they're not good. It's just because the meters are are not approved to go above 10,000 feet. That that's not what they're made for. So, um, nonetheless, you, you need to to get on the top. You need to do your, your job there as a climber. So, I guess it comes down to when you show up on Mount Everest, or when you show up on race day, or when you show up before that big tournament you've been preparing preparing for. 
um, you know, your your body goes on automatic pilot in terms of what you need to do athletically, right? You've thrown a, a basketball, you know, a million times so you can do it eyes closed on that big game. You should have practiced your diabetes enough so that you're on autopilot from a diabetes perspective as well. So uh, because I knew I couldn't test as much as I would have liked, I knew that I had to know my diabetes so well that I knew you know, what to do with my palm, what to eat, what not to eat, so that I would know uh, that my blood glucose would be good even if I couldn't test it as, as much as I wanted to do. So you're saying you were pretty fair, you were reg, regimented and kind of followed the same menu every day because that was a way to kind of pattern management your way through something like that in case you weren't getting, you were getting false readings with your glucose monitor? Exactly, exactly. And, and based on experience, right? It wasn't the first time. So I, I knew that for a certain amount of, you know, climbing, for certain intensity, then I knew how much it would impact my blood glucose. I, I, I knew, you know, that I should eat or not eat. And again, it's not a perfect science, as everybody knows, but, um, you know, my goal was to, to be safe for those two months, avoid lows, and, and get on the top. So that, that, you know, the things you do sometimes impact the, the strategy and the goals you set in terms of what number you're trying to hit. All right. Well, we've got another um, person in our chat room. Gloria wants to know, are your arms really that big and muscular in real life? I guess she saw your photo on our Diva blog at divamedics.org. <laughs> just to change it up for a second. Oh, you, are, you are training for something else. You should tell the divas and the dudes out there. You're, you haven't stopped. You're, you've got your gym bag in your car because you're doing what? Yeah, I'm training for an Ironman uh, triathlon now. So I've completed three already. And what, um, what's involved in an Ironman uh, challenge? So, so that's the longest form of triathlon. So you start with a 2.4-mile swim, then you bike for 112 miles, and then you run a full marathon, 26.2 miles. So it's a, it's pretty much the, the longest and toughest day in sports. Um, so, And typically, triathletes, aren't really big <laughs> so i don't know if, they, if my arms are that big they we don't want to get do big. Look big in the photo that you sent me because you're kind of like reaching for the camera so we'll <laughs> we'll let our imagination answer that for the ladies for gloria out there who was there interested. You all right <laughs> you sebastian go. we're gonna have some fun now i we're gonna play pick a number this is one of my favorite games it's time for pick a number That's right, listeners, we're educating and empowering everyone living with diabetes one number at a time. And tonight's special, special guest, Sebastian, the first Canadian man or woman living with type 1 diabetes to climb Mount Everest, that will never get boring, by the way, Sebastian, has <laughs> our number. So, Sebastian, reveal our number tonight. And the number tonight is 30. 30! Why did you choose 30? Uh, 30 for 30 minutes of exercise a day. And it doesn't even have to be every single day. Um, so obviously I, I certainly put in more time than that in the gym, but that's, you know, for, you know, if you want to accomplish like crazy things, uh, I think the ultimate goal should be to, 
you know, live an healthy lifestyle, you know, have an healthy diet, exercise just enough, and, you know, 30 minutes is a good uh, guideline. I love that. That's a great That's a great number to remember, 30. You know, one of my favorite numbers is 12 because I have a new video featuring my 12 favorite things for 2011. They're yeah. great gift ideas for someone living with diabetes. I'll do a shameless plug right now and tell people <laughs> to check it out at divabetic.org. You know, I'm wearing a fruit suit in that video, Sebastian. So what's your favorite fruit? Pineapple. By pineapple? And how do you like to eat pineapple? I don't know. I, I mean, I, I, I like it anyway, I guess. As, as long as I can get pineapple, I'm, I'm, I'm an happy camper. And how about, what's your favorite vegetable? Because they always seem to get the second uh, billing, and I like to promote vegetables as well. Uh, broccoli. And Bro- oh, you mean broccoli? Broccoli. How do you say it if you're from Quebec City? Uh, if you're from Quebec City, you would say broccoli. <laughs> <laughs> say it with but, the, I love it. B- <laughs> broccoli soup? I love it. Okay. And how do you like to prepare your broccoli? Um, I like it steamed. Uh, but sometimes I like to have it raw. Too. It's, I mean, it's a super vegetable. It's 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 so good for you. So I'm not gonna lie. It's 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 you know it's not the greatest tasting vegetable but I, I I I like the things it does for me so that's important. And you you do have a fa- you're part of a family affected by diabetes. You have a sibling as well living with diabetes, correct? Yes, my brother has type 1. He was in fact uh diagnosed before I was. And how what's that like for people to have a sibling living with diabetes? Do you find a lot of support, encouragement? Yes, yes. I mean, we you, you never want to, you know, wish anything like that on on you know on your siblings. But I mean, we both have it, and and that's just a fact we we have to live with. So it's good to have someone who understands, um, someone who knows that it's not always perfect. You know that you know sometimes your blood sugar is a little high or a little low, and you have not done anything wrong, or you know. Um, so it's it's good to have somebody to to count on, you know, if you forget your supplies, um someone who understands it, um someone who's not asking you all oh, you are right, someone who's not asking you, you know, is this good or bad? Is 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 97 on your meter good or bad? You know, um it's just good to to have someone who can step in when you really need help and someone who who knows when, you know, to to stay away. <laughs> Right. And, you know, I, I want to talk about this again, too, about, you know, dealing with your diabetes in extreme situations, because I would surmise that you're a little bit less scared about dealing with highs and lows on a day-to-day basis, because obviously you had to deal with the idea of insulin potentially freezing and being not useful in on Mount Everest. You had to deal with the fact that your glucose monitor may or may not be giving you accurate readings in that kind yeah. of high altitude, as you said. So, what could someone who's listening who is never going to plan to go to Mount Everest but might feel like they're dealing with Mount Everest every day, they wake up with diabetes, what kind of advice can you give them? Like what can they take from what you did and apply to their lives today? Well, there's three very key words I like to use, and, and whether it's to climb Mount Everest or in everyday life, um, I think uh, the first word is educate or education, the second one is planification, and the third one is experimentation. So uh, you have to educate yourself first on, on, you know, diabetes, on how your insulin pump works, on on, uh, how insulin works, 
uh, different types of food, you know, slow sugar, fast sugar, et cetera, et cetera, then you need to plan, right? If you're going to exercise, for example, you can't just go out there without something to treat a low if it happens, right? Um, a low is always going to be uncomfortable. It's never going to be pleasant, but if you're prepared, then you can treat it and then move on. And if you're not prepared, then it can turn into a catastrophe. And then you gotta, you know, after you've educated yourself, after you've planned for the things you're you're going to do, you gotta experiment. You gotta trust yourself. You gotta challenge yourself. You got you you have to set realistic goals, right? You don't start off with something too crazy. And but experimenting is gonna allow you to learn from your mistake and and, and build on on your successes, and then you go back to ed- education. You take it one step you know further, and you go through that cycle again and again. And I think we can accomplish great things with that you know with those it. little three words. Yeah, that's great. And you, are, it seems like you are constantly educating yourself and learning new things. And I'm sure someone out there would think you wouldn't have anything more to learn, but it sounds like you are always kind of learning. You're in that continual cycle to improve your health and and continue on with your different uh, goals in your life. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Uh, I I would never ever say or pretend I know it all. I learn every day, and uh, I think that's important to take ownership of of our diabetes. Nobody's gonna is going to spend that time reading or trying or planning, you know, except from from ourselves. Um, You know, the average patient, I guess, spends a few minutes uh, in their doctor's office per year, right? But we live with this every day. So it's something we have to do, and and we can't count on, on other people to, you know, make our diabetes better. I love it. Well, we're out of time, Sebastian, but I want to thank you for being my special guest, Sebastian Sayersville from Quebec City. Thank you so much for being on the show. Tell Thanks us what for your having me on. Is. What's your website? Uh, my website is www.sebinspires.com. All right, and if you've missed any of our past shows, please visit divabetic.org and click on the radio link to hear over 30 Diva Talk radio programs in their entirety. Remember, every diva has an entourage, and I'm so glad to be part of yours. Let's get happy and stay healthy together. Thank you for listening. Yeah.